A man in Vancouver who reads vibrations is booked for six months in advance and refused 600 clients in three days for want of time. Where once we burnt witches at the stake a few scant generations ago, today we put them on television and seek them out as after-dinner speakers. The famous Beatles sat at the feet of a guru who now makes personal appearance tours. The gypsy in her wagon has moved indoors to the church bazaar. We today, then, can't deride that group which in 1927 endured poverty, exploitation, bondage, torture, and the unspeakable vulgarities of a self-proclaimed messiah. A messiah who plundered the ripe orchards of faith and brought a diabolical new religion of black magic. One who promised all, took all, and gave nothing. Edward Arthur Wilson. Lecher, cheat, mystic, savior, swindler, and perhaps even murderer. Who was he? What was he? Where does fact end and fiction begin in what has been called the strangest case ever heard in a Supreme Court? That is the search. The search for Brother Twelve. Welcome to another episode of Wetwire. I'm Julian Paul Butt. And I'm Sean Andes. Today we're looking at the life and prophecies of theosophist, cult leader, and deadbeat dad, Edward Arthur Wilson, better known as Brother Twelve. Brother Twelve was an English occult leader who founded the Aquarian Society and its commune in Vancouver Island, British Columbia in the late 20s. He was surrounded with allegations of abuse, of abuse, fraud, and even murder. He fled pot prosecution by burning down his compound and absconding with the group's gold in a tugboat. What he could grab that isn't still buried treasure on the island. That's a myth. Nobody go look for it. <laughs> a few have. <laughs> We're really pleased to welcome Steph Homhofer back to the show to tell us about Brother 12. Steph joined us in November to talk about Graham Hancock and ancient apocalypse in the Man from Atlantis episode. She's an archaeologist currently at the University of Alberta and focuses on pseudo-archaeology and conspirituality, and as she calls it, highly cursed content. Is there is there anything you wanted to add to that? Did did I get it? Yeah, I think you got it. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Uh, well, how how did you learn about uh, Brother Twelve in the first place? What what brought you to that? Um, uh, it, it was a Josh Gates show, actually. His show uh, Expedition Unknown. He did an episode about Brother Twelve uh, five years ago, maybe, maybe a little bit longer than that. And um, I'd never heard about Brother Twelve before. And I think I caught just the tail end of a commercial and I heard cult and gold. And then I heard British Columbia, Southern British Columbia, which is where I'm from. And so I watched the episode and I was just like, holy crap. Like I had no idea this was happening. This is incredible. And then um, it kind of just stuck with me over the couple of years after that. And I, I remember telling my husband, I was like, you know, if I ever go back to university, maybe do a PhD, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to do archaeology of Brother 12 and, and check out the Brother 12 stuff. And then I started uh, 
digging more into him and uh, no pun intended and um, started learning more about him and, and the stuff he was into. And I realized there was a lot of pseudo arc in there and a lot of stuff that I knew from the pseudo arc world as well. And it just stuck with me. And then the PhD opportunity came up and my supervisor, fortunately, is super interested. And she's like, yeah, let's do this. That's how Brother 12 became the the sort of center of my PhD. <laughs> That's wonderful. I mean, so, so to speak. Right. It's wonderfully <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah. Still a lot of highly cursed content with Brother 12. Maybe it would be best if we started off from the beginning and you told us, uh, I guess, what you know about Brother 12 or rather maybe who, who was Edward Arthur Wilson. So, yeah. So Edward Arthur Wilson, he was born in 1878 in England, Birmingham, England. Um, and his dad was a either, well, maybe both, but his dad, um, some people or some sources say his dad built steel bed frames, which generated them a lot of income. Um, but his dad was also a pastor in the Catholic Apostolic Church. And Brother 12 was raised through the Apostolic Church. They were also known as the Irvingites. And um, so he was raised through the church, a very to be a very devout member of the church. And um, that really influenced, I think, parts of his thing, though later in his writing, you see he became really bitter at the church when he got really into theosophy. Um, and so he was raised as a devout member. He got married to his first wife in either 1902 or 1905. I can't remember. Um and they moved, they lived in England for a while, tried to have a dairy farm. Things weren't going very well. So they moved back to New Zealand. She was from New Zealand and they lived in New Zealand for a while. They had a couple of kids. Um, things still weren't going great. Like there's letters. He wrote his parents to his parents asking for money a fair bit. And his dad always seemed to always give him some money to help him out. And um, he bounced, his health became really poor, but it's not really sure what exactly was going on just because he had poor health he was bouncing from job to job to job but ended up in um, the marine industry somehow and he was like a sailor or something with a trading company so he traveled like a merchant marine yeah yeah um nothing's so yeah, nothing's great for your health like becoming a sailor honestly yeah right <laughs> you know nothing like some hard work salty air i'm sure that's the cure-all <laughs> So he he sailed around the world quite a bit. And I have a feeling that's how he came to know British Columbia. Um, I think he I think he probably went to BC a, a few times throughout this profession. Um, and then in 19 sometime in the early 1910s, he and his wife actually moved to British Columbia. They moved to Victoria, which is on Vancouver Island. It's the capital of BC. Um, and shortly after they moved to British Columbia, uh, like a couple of years later or so in 1912, he and his wife divorced. And the result was he was permanently excommunicated from the Catholic Apostolic Church. Um, and that's when things really started to change. And so he, 1913, I think it was, he said in 1913 or 1914 that he underwent a ceremony of dedication, um, but didn't really elaborate on it. He ended up joining the Theosophical Society, um, and that's when he really got into Theosophy. Um, but he can, he really loved. Oh, go ahead. Uh, can can I say it first? It's always uh -oh. Blavatsky. Always Blavatsky, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
<laughs> she pops up everywhere. And Brother 12 was like a hardcore Blavatsky fanboy. He talks about her a lot in his letters, in his writing, his books, his articles. Her name always pops up. Or he either like full out says her name, types her name, or um, calls her um, HPB for the cool shortened slang. <laughs> um, so yeah, she's the manga. He, he joined the, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he joins the Theosophical Society. I think it was, uh, 1913 is when he joined. Um, but he, there was like a lot of change happening in the society at the time, um, with Annie Besant and Charles Leadbeater who had taken over leadership, uh, after Blavatsky's death and they were, it was a combination of they were making some changes to theosophy, emphasizing certain points over others, but also Charles Ledbetter was a terrible human being and Annie Besant wouldn't deal with that. So from my understanding, a lot of members were asking her to address Ledbetter being an awful human. Um, and she's like, nah, and so as a result, a lot of people started to leave the Theosophical Society, Brother 12 being one of them. And he actually became part of, it wasn't like a formal movement or anything, but like this informal back to Blavatsky thing. So he was advocating for Theosophy to go back to Blavatsky's formal teachings. Um, but in one of his books, he actually says, no, it should be forward to Blavatsky. We, we're going back to Blavatsky, but actually we should be saying we're going forward to Blavatsky reasons um and so yeah he kind of from 1917 to 1924 ish not really much was known about what he was up to um i think he was back from my understanding he was back working as a sailor on the seas um his involvement in other organizations movements not really too sure about but uh we know in 1924, he was living in Italy, Genoa, Italy, and that's when he first encountered the Ascended Masters or when they first came to him. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of what we know a little bit about Edward Arthur Wilson. And then 1924 is when he transformed uh, into Brother 12. And, and if I could, um, so yeah, literally transformed with, with the, with the, <laughs> he emerged from his chrysalis. <laughs> <laughs> like a moth. <laughs> exactly. So, so I know that the Ascended Masters is a theosophy idea. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on on that uh, in the in the remote chance that some of our listeners actually are not already uh, Blavatsky following uh, uh, readers? <laughs> yes, uh, that is true. I should probably work. I think it's safe to assume most people don't know about <laughs> Blavatsky shenanigans and should keep it that way. <laughs> um, it's just, oh man, Blavatsky. So Helena Blavatsky, um, her whole thing was like, she wrote this really intense cosmogony of the world and, and how, and, and of human evolution, spiritual evolution, but, and physical evolution. And, she talked about these these beings called the um, ascended ma or the masters of the Great White Brotherhood or or the Brotherhood of the Great White Lodge. It sort of varies, um, and they were these like ethereal spiritual beings who basically had all of the knowledge of the world in the past, the present, the future. They lived on the spiritual plane, and they would teach through. Um, what later became known as the mystery schools, Blavatsky called the mystery schools. And this all started with 
uh, the sinking of Atlantis. So Atlantis, during the time of Atlantis, Atlanteans were just being like massive douchebags and <laughs> just wrecking shit. And they were also like really um, spiritually ascendant people, very in- intelligent, had all this advanced technology, advanced knowledge. Um, and so some of the what became the masters started to think, well, maybe the special knowledge and wisdom we have should not be given to everybody because look at how our fellow Atlanteans are acting. They're just being childish butt faces. And so (laughs) um, let's restrict some of this knowledge and keep some of this knowledge and, and it'll be very secretive and very sacred and only chosen select chosen um, people will be given the opportunity to learn this, this wisdom. So Atlantis sinks and the um, survivors kind of spread over to, I think it was like India first, and then they came to Egypt. And that's when they started the mystery schools where they would select a few people to pass on this wisdom to. And um, these beings would, as they passed on wisdom and, and gained more wisdom, they would just ascend further and further until they ultimately became the ascended masters. Um, that is like a super basic explanation of the ascended masters and brother 12 was really into there's like different mystery schools depending on who you talk to um today and brother 12 was really into the idea of the egyptian mystery schools which were like the original ones attaching himself to that long-standing tradition of putting everything mystical in egypt's lap yeah exactly just like it's always blavatsky it's it's always Egypt. It's always Egypt. <laughs> they they Egypt. can't get away from it. Like, how could they? Nobody could have possibly built these things without magic. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Brendan Fraser yeah, exactly. learned about the curse. So if anybody's going to teach us about this, it's going to be him. Brendan Fraser. That's right. Fellow Canadian. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the Ascended Masters are, are a pretty big part of theosophy. And um, the, the ironic thing about Brother 12, too, is when you read the, the stuff he was talking about, um, especially with regards to the Ascended Masters, like he was very big into Blavatsky, but a lot of the stuff he shared or talked about was actually stuff that had been elaborated on by Annie Besant and Charles Leadbeater in particular, which was kind of the irony that he hated Charles Leadbeater, yet he's kind of regurgitating a lot of these these talking points from Leadbeater. And it, it seems like <clears throat> he never really completely left behind some of the lessons he learned from the, the Catholic Apostolic Church. Because yeah. our apostolic church, because he still has that millenarianism in in his own ideas, you know, yeah. like th- that's what that's what he was using to bind everybody together. It seems was yeah. this uh, convincing them that the world was about to end. Yeah, in, in kind of in two different ways, like in, in some level, it is that very Catholic um, or that apostolic version of of the second coming and the world is ending in this apocalypse. Um, but then also through the new age sense as well, where he, he literally believed that we were on the cusp of transitioning from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius, um, which was his whole thing. It was the duty given to him by the ascended masters um, after he met them in 1924. After, yeah, after he met them, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after, after he interfaced with the ascended masters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, the other thing about Blavatsky that folks might not know about is she's really big or she's um, really well known for this idea of the root races, they were called, which fits into her evolution of humanity. So there were um, seven root races that humanity has passed through spiritually and physically. Five had already happened. There were stu- uh, two that were still left to happen in the future. And this is over like millions and millions and millions of years. What, and what are the root races? 
So the root races are um, like the, she sort of described them as like the spiritual, um, like time periods is more of her thing, but she did describe physical characteristics to each root race. Each root race also had seven sub races. Um, And so the idea is that, we started the very first root race. They were called the Polarian root race and they lived up somewhere around um, the North pole area, even though they were like this ethereal spiritual thing. um, They still were up there. Then they evolved into the second root race, which were the Hyperboreans uh, who also lived up around the North pole. And they were like the first to sort of begin to have this like physical form And then the Hyperboreans evolved into the third root race, which were the Lemurians from Lemuria. Um, And then the Lemurians evolved into the fourth root race, which were the Atlanteans. And the Atlanteans were sort of the first, like, fully physically recognizable as humans type of thing. But they were also, yeah, very spiritually advanced, a lot of really um, advanced technology and knowledge and wisdom. So they hold a very special place. Um, in Theosophy and in Blavatsky's writings, especially since she she claims a lot of this information that she was writing about comes from what's called the Book of Dizan, um, which had been written by the Atlanteans. Um, it's not a real book, uh, but oh yeah, that's a that, it's a great tradition of just completely making up texts to reference. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's a very popular book in like other pseudark too. Like Eric von Daniken um, quotes the Book of Dizan and some of his stuff as well. It's like, whatever I want to say, but I need to have a voice of authority, I'm going to give it to this book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This super real book that definitely existed. (laughs) And so this like book and and the Atlanteans were very special um, to Blavatsky. And then the Atlanteans had evolved into the fifth and really the most superior of all the root races, which were the Aryans. Of course, of course, the Aryans. Right? (laughs) Yeah, always the Aryans. They always sneak in there. Um, and so the Aryans were like the, our, our, our contemporary root race. We are in the time of the Aryans. Brother 12 was in the time of the Aryans and each sub race also has like special things about it. I haven't, to be honest, read too much about the specific sub races. So I'm not really sure why, but apparently the, um, sixth sub race of the fifth root race so the sixth sub race of the Aryans was supposed to be a very very special sub race and that's what uh brother 12 says that the ascended masters had tasked him with was transitioning humanity into uh that sixth sub race which coincided with the transition to the time of Aquarius as well and then the fifth or the sixth and seventh root races had not yet happened yet and this was all supposed to be done by 1975. Well, it, it, it looks like some of his predictions didn't, didn't pan out. Somebody messed up. <laughs> you know, I, uh, yeah. on the, not to get, I, I hope this is not getting too far ahead of us, but uh, I did hear somewhere or read somewhere uh, that he did make some predictions and the, the alleged predictions that he correctly made, which I'm sure is, is, you know, widely subjective and, and, and up to interpretation, but some of the predictions supposedly were the uh, Wall Street crash and World War II. And I want to say one other mm-hmm. thing that's not leaping to my head at the moment. Um, do, you, do you have any insight on, on, on that notion? Is, is there something to that? A little bit, yeah. So that comes from um, 
his, so basically what ended up happening in, in Genoa, Italy in 1924, he, it's October, like mid, late October, brother 12 goes to bed early. He's not feeling very well. And over the course of three nights, he's woken up on each of these three nights with these visions and these messages. So the first thing, the first night he like sees this, um, this floating star and this floating Egyptian ankh or, or towel at the end of his bed. And he's like, oh shit, like this means something. Uh, and then- You've been listening to a sample of a Wetwired Premium episode. To listen to this entire episode and to hear our entire back catalog, you can subscribe on Patreon for just $5 a month. We also have a limited number of $3 a month True Believer memberships, but when those run out, they are gone. Thank you for helping us keep Wetwired editorially independent and ad-free.